Good morning, everyone. My name is Camilo Sanchez. I joined the faculty last year as a um, clinical professor in international human rights law, and I, I am the co-director of the human rights program. And I teach the clinic on human rights and also the human rights study project. So the idea is to um, do a short introduction on what we do in terms of human rights uh, here at the law school and then hear your thoughts and your questions about, about that. So I'll do my best to try to answer your concerns and questions. So I'm going to go 10 to 15 minutes first to give up uh, an overview and then we'll take the questions, all right? Okay, so um, thinking on how to present this, I thought the best way to do it was to split this into two uh, different moments. First, to explain the values and the philosophy uh, that we have in the way that we teach human rights, and second, to explain uh, how we do it and the courses that we have and the offers that we have here. So for the first part, uh, to some of you would be, or some people would have actually told you that it's kind of odd, an odd moment to start studying human rights law. Right? So some people would say like, oh, you want to do, oh, so cute. You want to <laughs> do human rights. That's so 80s, <laughs> you know? And it feels that way. You know, we see the, the rise of illiberal democracies around the world from India to Russia, uh, from Turkey to Brazil, uh, from Hungary to the Philippines. So something is happening in the world. Second, uh, there are major changes in the global order. Uh, long-term shifts, for example, in geopolitics and the use of technology and connectivity in the world. That kind of updates the way in which human rights was uh, practiced and in the way that human rights was thought and taught. So for that is that many people today say that human rights are in crisis and there is a crisis in human rights. So our take here at UVA Law School at our human rights program is that we don't kind of like the idea of crisis. We see it as a moment of transition. And with transitions, of course, you'll have moments of uncertainty, but also of opportunity. And that's where we want to position ourselves. And to say, this is a transition, and what we want to do is to be part of that. To give our students, our students an opportunity to be part of this, in, and, and which I think is a moment of transformation. So that's how we tackle these issues and how we um, use the current political framework into what we do in the classroom and outside the classroom here. So the goal basically is how to prepare and train the human rights advocates that will lead this process and that will be advocating for human rights after this transition process is over. That is what we're trying to do here. So I, I often tell my students and my colleagues, I'm not interested at all in teaching or educating my younger self. You know, in, in, in treating my students like I was 20 years ago and to teach them how successful or unsuccessful I was in practice using the tools that I had at my disposal 20 years ago doing human rights. What I want to do is to lead my students to be the agents, to be the drivers for change in this new human rights field. That's what I want to do. So what I want to do is to open the doors for you to think about 
how the human rights field should, should look like in the future, in the future, if not today. You know? So it is not about the past, it is about the future. How we see and how human rights are going to fit in the new world that we are going to have. So that's basically what I try to do and what we at the Human Rights Program are looking at all of these issues. So, you know, some, sometimes some practitioners, I have many friends that are practitioners and, and they tell me like, you know what, it is more challenging about your job is just that you are teaching people how to do a job that that is not that not necessarily exist at this time you know you've, you've i'm sure you've heard many times that you know um most of the jobs that you're going to do do not exist at this time because the world is changing and and i tell them no that is not my job that is not how i see my challenge my challenge is to work with my students to help them create and invent the jobs that they would like to do in order to be effective human rights advocates and lawyers in the future. That is the idea, and that's how we tackle this. And for that, what we do here is um, we spend time, or we try to spend time identifying uh, current trends and studying them. Second, what we do a lot is we try to use tools that kind of predict or try to predict changes in trajectories. And third, we try to promote creative thinking and innovation. Those are three things that, I, that to me are very important, not only in legal education, in every branch of law, but for human rights law today is critical. Not only how well you can read treaties, a treaty law and legal standards and make arguments, of course that's important, but for me that's a given. Today, it is very much important to you know, try to anticipate to those changes. You know, we people, um, I'm from Colombia. I was educated in Colombia, I lived in Colombia for the better part of my life, and we, after we did this peace agreement, we had a referendum, and we consulted people. Do you want this peace agreement or no? And most people said no, and we were like, oh. And I think that is the thing that cannot happen. You need to anticipate and to work around those issues. So that's what we are trying to do with our legal education here and, and, and our take on human rights. So let me just put an example on the shift in communications that um, many people are trying right now, and I think it's key in all of this discussion. Um, because as communicators, I think older generation of human rights defenders, we kind of did not very successful, not to say that we suck. <laughs> uh, because, right, we, we, we advocate for the rights of, of everyone. You know, it's for everyone's right. So everyone would be in, on our side, right? And we usually are the minority in every discussion. Haven't you part of that? Haven't you been part of that? Like, you know, like the only one, the standalone, the, the minority. So we are not good at communicating. So for example, shifts that I think have been important and we're trying with that. Talk more about solutions and not only problems. Um, highlight what we stand for and not necessarily what we oppose to. 
uh, focus on creating opportunities and not only you know, on threats. Uh, if the government doesn't do this, we are going to sue or we are going to do that. You know, changing kind of the, the language. And finally, emphasizing the support for heroes and no pity for victims. So that's what I'm talking about. How to confront all of the, uh, this and how to change that and to include that into your legal education. And uh, I've taken too long, but then the way how we do this, um, we, we have a, a, a broad offer on, on different uh, classroom activities and extracurricular activities. I would say that mainly thematically we are divided into two groups. One is on international human rights law and then domestic uh, constitutional law. In the international side you'll have um, hands-on education. We have a clinic, the clinic that I um, am now directing. And also we have, uh, um, I would say that we have three ways to teach international human rights law. One is a theoretical legal education in which you will have international human rights law, international humanitarian law, and other classes. And second, uh, we have the clinic, which we take and we partner with organizations across the globe, and we work on real cases and real projects. And third, um, a class on how to conduct research on human rights and specifically on human rights issues and how to do it um, ethically and effectively. And for that, we call that the Human Rights Study Project. I invite you to uh, search our website and, and look at the video. We have a, a recently made video on our last trip to Nepal. And that was very cool because we went to the Himalayas, to Everest Camp, and that was part of, of, of what we consider a learning experience in a way that we, we, we didn't only have like regular meetings with um, human rights defenders and government and other actors, but also we had time to reflect and to think in a different environment that I think it's key to this idea of innovative, creative thinking. Um, so that's part of what we do. And um, we also have, uh, with the, within the human rights program, we have a, um, a year-long uh, speakers series event in which uh, we invite practitioners and scholars from different realms, um, some more um, from an academic take, some others more from the practitioner's take, to come here and to share their experience. And we do that um, throughout the year. We also are working uh, really hard on uh, spotting opportunities for recent graduates or for students to spend time abroad, uh, both abroad and here in the US working with human rights issues. And as we see it, our role is not to, it is not that we want to be ambitious. And that's what, we th that's, uh, that's what I think that we need to take this as a, an opportunity for transitioning. But it's not that we are creating you know, the Avengers of you know, human rights Avengers. I'm not the Stan Lee of human rights, <laughs> far from that. Um, but how to connect people and how to create leaders that can create opportunities and contribute to change from different perspectives, different realms, from different positions. So it is not that we are trying to educate the role model NGO person that is going to work for a nonprofit, you know, and, and that's the only way to do human rights work. 
you can do, and, and we take it like that, you can promote human rights from private practice, um, from government, internationally, domestically. It is how you understand your opportunities and how you connect um, all of those opportunities and mobilize your resources to do that. That is the idea how to do it cleverly. That's what uh, we are very invested and interested in. So that's me. <laughs> now questions. Do you see people coming uh, come out with an interest in international human rights going straight into those jobs in that field, or do they tend to get experience in entry-level private practice jobs and then transition later? Both ways. Um, there are some people, for example, that are truly interested in the um, like human rights activism primarily, and they try to go, you know, use their first summer to go to usually an international organization. Uh, for example, the um, ICC, the International Criminal Court, or the Inter-American Commission on Human Rights in Washington, D.C., something like that. And usually, for their second summer, they go to a big um, human rights NGO, here or abroad. You know, try, just try to you know, have two different experiences. And some others um, try government. So we have very successful examples of people that say, like, mm, yeah. But what I think is that I need more skills and tools um, litigating cases. So maybe if I go to you know, the Department of Justice or something like that, I'll get that. Or some people that see that you know, the future here is the connection between human rights and corruption, and anti-corruption laws. So I'm going to take private practice into that field in order to have an added value when I am in practice and when I want to be part of this you know, discussion. So we have different takes, and, and I think um, um, many students successfully have you know, done it through uh, all sorts of, of ways. Um, and, and I think that's key. OK, no questions. Uh, you said you go to the U.S. and Nepal and during the clinic. What kind of trips do you take during your clinics and what do you do when you're in those other countries? Okay, great. So, um, Nepal was part of, of what we call the Human Rights Study Project. And what we do is, it, that is a, a year-long course in which first, during the fall semester, we start to learn about how to conduct human rights um, research and we do background research on the country that we pick. So for example, in this case, we started to study Nepal, but also we started to work with what does it mean to do no harm when you're doing or conducting human rights studies? Uh, what are the precautions that we would have? What are the um, important factors that we need to you know, take into, into account once we are there? Uh, how we're going to behave and what it would be uh, consider ethically human rights work. So we did that during the fall. Then in January term, we went to Nepal. We went to Kathmandu first, and we met with uh, 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 with different stakeholders, government, civil society organization, independent journalists, um, international community working there, and then we went to Pokhara, which is this um, I'd say the second largest city in Nepal, and we met with others sort of, of people, academia and others, and, and after that we did a, a, a 
a, a trek in the Kumbu region. And for that, we had uh, other partners and, and Alabni that joined the trip, and, and they were experts on different issues. So they helped us to understand what we just witnessed, and we had really good conversations about how to relate that to you know, a broader idea of practice and, and also human rights and problems and the differences and, and different takes on that. So that's what we did. With the clinic, what we do is that we um, partner with um, an NGO or an international organization in order to conduct a project throughout the year. So for example, this year we try to um, have some projects that kind of bridge the gap, the existing gaps between practice, because what we find these days a lot uh, is that people don't talk to each other. So one example is those who work on international investment treaty law and those who work on human rights. They affect each other, but they don't talk. So one of our projects was try to make the connection and to call on those who work on international treaty law to say like, look, human rights are important. Because if you don't take into consideration this, then when you're implementing your, pro your project, chances are that you're going to have a community that will uh, want to work with you or rejecting your project or something like that. You have to take that into consideration. And on the other hand, to tell human rights people, look, this exists. And this is also a body of law. And if you just go recommending states, for example, the Inter-American Commission, if you go recommending states, oh, don't do that, states are going to say, like, what? I need to get money somehow, right, to pay the bills. So to bridge that. So that's part of what we did uh, with the clinic this year. We did that also with fiscal policies and human rights. And we also had a project on, on migrants. We partnered with the UN Committee on um, Migrant Workers because they are working on a document setting the standards for detention and deprivation of liberty of migrants, something that is very close um, to what is happening here in the, in the US. So for example, we were working on that. So that's kind of how we try to integrate all of this vision into what we do during the year. The clinic is also a, a year-long commitment. Um, Okay, I don't know what to do. Okay, go ahead. Um, mm -hmm. I just had a question in yes. relation to people of an interest in um, particularly focusing on civilians in armed conflicts mm -hmm. and re um, refugees as well. I guess through the combination of clinics and courses, <coughs> you just described like opportunities and pathways that students tend to go uh, from UVA if they have that sort of an interest. Yes, actually. Uh, next week, uh, I don't know if you've seen the flyers, next week we're having um, an alumna that's coming here. She's been working for the residual um, tribunals for what happened during the, um, in the Balkans uh, 20 or 30 years ago now. You know, I keep thinking that when I say 20 years ago, is the 70s. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, so. We have different people uh, that have used that knowledge uh, and the training that they've gotten here, um, working in different parts of the world and with different issues regarding um, international humanitarian law, for example, or operations law, how they call it here um, in, in the Jack School, and um, kind of 
doing either justice, humanitarian intervention, on different takes on that, and also with refugees. Um, actually, our the clinic is now working with um, a different project, is with working with um, Venezuelan migrants in Latin American countries. You know, because as, as Latin America wa was always um, ascending country, ascending region, you know, to Spain, to the U.S., we were not prepared at all to receive migrants. So now what we found is that, you know, all of the systems for refugee are completely useless. They make no determination when they do it. It is not according to law. They don't even know uh, the applicable law. Uh, funny fact is that back in the 90s, the Latin American countries signed the Cartagena Declaration, with, which expanded the notion of refugee, which is a really good thing, you know, because the international notion is only for those who have been prosecuted for political reasons. And they said, no, if there are systematic violations of human rights, or civil unrest, we're gonna actually cover those with the international protections. And now they don't know that they signed that. <laughs> you know, we're very pioneer <laughs> at the time they did it, and now we have got like, look, the Karahena agreement exists. Uh, so we're working on that refugee at, at, at the inter-American system, and, and I think that's um, something that is kind of new, you know, before what happened in Venezuela that was completely unexistent, and now we're seeing how important that is, even here. Um, so you talked about um, thinking about this as a transition period and innovating and anticipating on where we're going outside of the traditional legal study of international human rights. And so I know at EVA we have the opportunity to pursue dual degrees and to take courses outside mm -hmm. of the law school. Mm -hmm. Can you speak to any of those opportunities that you think are particularly useful for folks interested in international human rights? One that I think it's, it's um, very useful is a dual degree with um, Batten School, the MPP program. Mm -hmm. I think that's really important now because um, as these are very structural problems, unless you think of policy options for this, uh, it's, it's not going to be like a, a, a very effective solution. Mm -hmm. So even in, in cases that we consider as isolated violations, you need to think systematically. Mm -hmm. So for me, public policy is just so important right now. I think everything that, that deals with um, data, and how to analyze data is really key these days. It's not that we need to, you know, uh, become math geeks and all that stuff to do our work, but unless we understand that and are part of the conversation, we are not going to be as effective as, as, as we want to and as we need to be. So that too would be very important. So time is off, so if you want more, Come join us. <laughs> Thank you.